The following is a presentation of AOW Productions. This program contains adult content. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed by the host of this program do not necessarily state or reflect those of this station or its management. Bringing you controversy at its best with uncensored music, comedy, and political discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Outlaw Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Outlaw Radio for the 8th of January, 2022. I'm your host, Bad Billy. And if I sound a little funny, I do apologize. I'm feeling a bit under the weather, but that does not stop me from bringing you this week's edition of Outlaw Radio. And we got a good show lined up for you this week. In just a little bit, you're going to hear an interview that I recorded with Retired French kickboxer Jerome Turcan. Now, a lot of you may not have heard of him. Well, if you remember the uh, World Combat Championships back in the early days of MMA, uh, you know, just uh, only two years after the first UFC, yes, he competed in that, and we're going to talk about that, talk about uh, his run in kickboxing as well as uh, K-1. In the second hour, I'm joined by Jenny Coffey. Of course, if uh, you're familiar with Matt Connerton and Matt Connerton Unleashed, then you'll know who she is. And, you know, whereas her and I's political differences, we we got some there, let's just say that. But uh, we also agree on a lot, and that uh, would be the Second Amendment as well. In the third hour, I'll be joined by the icon Stephen James for the Steve Solution, talking about... Who's the GOAT in the NBA, LeBron James or Michael Jordan? Well, you know I'm going to say Michael Jordan. Anyway, before I get to all that, I want to cue the first song of the show. This is Dry Your Eyes by Boba Flex. And I'll be back with the interview with Jerome Turcan right after this. And we go a little something like this. Hit it. Now, from a rented basement, because Bad Billy's mom threw him out, it's Outlaw Radio. Sick your bullshit. Getting kinda sick your lies. I got 
thrill seeker rocking out to the station i hear you you're probably even sipping on a drink right now an average blah blah drink in a can or bottle one that doesn't quite hit the spot for you i'll bet you want something different don't you something more take your shot with cold cock whiskey the best whiskey anywhere why because it's different from other liquors cold cock whiskey is herbal whiskey 100 all natural herbs blended with aged american whiskey no more morning after sugar hangovers from other liquors. With Cold Cock's blend of herbs, including green tea, hibiscus, ginger, eucalyptus, and more, you'll be in herbal heaven. Cold Cock Whiskey, available at spirit stores and distributors America-wide. Find one near you at coldcockwhiskey.com. Follow Cold Cock Whiskey on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Celebrate those special moments with friends. Raise your glass. Take your shot. You must be 21 or older to drink Cold Cock Whiskey. Please drink responsibly. Because there are some people out there who need practical advice. And yes, 
I'm talking about you. Wisdom beyond value from the desk of Mr. Holland. Remember that if you're going to try phone sex, those holes are very small. Ooh, is that Mr. Holland? Yes, ma'am. Please don't touch. You can ask anyone what the definition of freedom of speech means, and they will tell you it means you can say whatever you want. But freedom of speech goes beyond the physical act of speaking. It is what us as United States citizens can use to express ourselves, and it is a way we as human beings can grow. Those two things combined is what makes freedom of speech so important to us as a nation. This message is brought to you by the NAB Education Foundation and the Broadcast Education Association. So you go into your sporting goods or firearms store to get that gun and ammunition you've been wanting to buy, only to find out that the store doesn't have it. Worse yet, the shelves are bare. They're empty. Ugh. Well, that's why there's GunBroker.com. You want it? GunBroker.com's got it. Guns, gun parts, ammo, ammo storage, reloading equipment, binoculars, scopes, sights. Did I mention guns? Pistols, rifles, handguns, shotguns, machine guns, paintball guns, archery supplies, tools, jewelry, watches, even musical instruments and gear. Yes, GunBroker.com has those too. I'm telling you, they have it all. There are even auctions where you can bid on certain items. The folks at GunBroker.com know their stuff. They've been in business for over 20 years with over 6 million happy registered users. Why not become one of them? GunBroker.com. Go there. Check it out. Register today. It's 100% free. GunBroker.com. GunBroker.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to announce that Outlaw Radio officially has affiliated with My Patriot Supply. Are you prepared for the next unplanned emergency? As we speak, inflation is rising and the grocery store shelves are stocked less and less every day. The time to prepare is now. Go to www.outlawradioabs.com, visit the store section, and click on the My Patriot Supply banner and purchase yourself some buckets of delicious gourmet food with a 25-year shelf life. You can also purchase other essential supplies you can use during times of unplanned emergencies. Supplies such as the Alexa Pure water filtration system, first aid and medical supplies, solar power supplies, and much more. Again, go to www.outlawradioabs.com. Visit the store section and click on the My Patriot Supply banner. Don't be left in the dark. Get yourself and your family prepared for the next unplanned emergency today. I'm Nick, and you're listening to Outlaw Radio, where we say what the fuckity fuck we want. No exceptions. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard Dry Your Eyes by Boba Flex. And now it's time for Outlaw Radio Combat Sports Discussion with retired kickboxer Jerome Turcon. Here we go. Boxing. It'll be scored as a knockout. It's all over. We've got a brand new heavyweight champion of the world, Mike Tyson. Kickboxing. Mixed martial arts. Professional wrestling. And apparently, Hell in a Cell match is officially underway. 
Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Outlaw Radio Combat Sports Discussion. Knuckle up and throw down. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this edition of Outlaw Radio Combat Sports Discussion. I want to welcome somebody uh, to the show that I have seen compete, uh, let's just say in the old days of MMA when it was actually no holds barred. I've seen him compete in K1. I've seen him in a few uh, kickboxing matches. I want to welcome Jerome Turcan, originally out of France, now living in California. How you doing, brother? Hello, Billy. I'm doing uh, well. I hope uh, your audience will not have any problem to understand my uh, my accent because I still uh, have a little accent after 25 years that I live in uh, in the U.S. But uh, that uh, I can get rid of it. Look like I came here too late. <laughs> uh, maybe I so, should have said bonjour. <laughs> bonjour, bonjour to everybody that uh, are listening right now. And uh, yes, I'm Jerome Chukian. I'm uh, uh, coming from France. I moved here uh, and I was 33 years old. So that's, uh, man, a long time ago. I was in 1997. Uh, prior to that, I uh, came here to fight in the 80s. And uh, I met my wife and I brought her back uh, with me in France. And um, that's why a few years later we decided to get a little experience in America. And uh, her being from uh, from California, we of course came in California. And uh, very fast, I uh, very soon I met Javier Mendez, and I started to work hard uh, at his gym and uh, start to work with him and uh, finish my uh, career with Strike Force and with Javier Mendez out of AKA. Uh, I'm nowadays owning my own uh, little gym, which has uh, Rick Savox since nine, uh, 2014. Yes. Nice. Here in San Jose, California. Nice. So, uh, m- what were your early inspirations? Uh, what made you want to get involved in uh, martial arts to begin with? Uh, actually, uh, I was I wanted to get involved in boxing. I saw... I was just a kid. I was six, seven years old, and I saw uh, Frazier and how he uh, uh, getting at it in the rings. That was my great grandfather uh, who put me in front of the TV. I was uh, a kid who was moving all the time. Uh, today they will call me uh, ADD people, you know. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I just take stock with the with the TVs. I was two guys who were beating up each other and I, I fell in love with it and I, I started to ask my parents and to, to do boxing and uh, sadly there was no boxing around but I was karate Shotokan and uh, I started to do Shotokan and after my high school um, I moved to a bigger city where uh, it was a, a kickboxing gym a western rules at the time but I started my career with them, and uh, I enjoyed it tremendously. And, and fast came the, the the trophies and the, the 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 tournament and the victory in the national championship and uh, European contest and stuff. And um, so yes, and that's later on that I started to to practice savat. 
and uh, Savat uh, actually did a lot of good to my uh, to refine my my style to 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 get it less and to to get in and out and uh, to move around to corner better. In the same time, I started to do some boxing also uh, because there was some boxing team in Avignon, the city I was. And uh, so I kind of uh, went uh, through the whole uh, sports, kickboxing, Muay Thai, Thai um, uh, boxing, Western rules, and so that all together. So um, you were mentioning uh, earlier the, the beginning of MMA that we were calling North Bar at the time. Uh, that was a pretty funny story. Uh, that's uh, uh, my... my uh, Coach of the time, Didier Le Borgne, uh, called me and said, "Hey, we got to fight, uh, maybe a tournament in 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 America." I say, what do you say? I say, yeah, sure, Let, let's go. I had already competed in '88 in uh, in America when I, I was uh, training with uh, Jeff Smith yes. and um, and Jimmy Jones in boxing from uh, from um, the area of uh, Washington D.C. and. Uh, uh, so uh, I had competed a little bit, and uh, but that was, I was willingly that was from from my side as I wanted to compete there. So there was this uh, organization, the WCC, who contacted me because uh, they saw some of my fight and they uh, thought that uh, I will be able to to do some good. So they called me, and uh, I didn't speak English at the time. So my wife took the phone, and of course, I had my my home translator, right? And she was kind of, well, okay. Then uh, I translated. She was talking with this guy from the, the reporter. So I, was, I forgot the name of the, the, the gentleman. But um, he was asking question to my wife, and my wife was translating. And uh, so at one point, she told me, oh, that's only one round. I thought that's a tournament, an eight-man tournament, but there's only one round about, about, about fight. And I was kind of, oh, well, okay, good. And uh, the second thing says, oh, uh, there's no way class. Say, oh, well, okay. <laughs> I had fought some people very, very heavy and way heavier than me at the time in kickboxing with uh, mixed results, uh, sometimes winning, sometimes losing, but oh, well, no problem. I'll do it. And uh, she said, oh, uh, there's no gloves. <laughs> so I was under the impression that there was a Thai boxing tournament, a kickboxing tournament, uh, like the K1 I did before. And I said, well, okay, it's a little strange. The round is 22 minutes long. Okay, that's still very strange. And oh, that's kind of no rules. What do you mean no rules? Okay, everything goes. What? <laughs> I was kind of surprised and stuff. But um, yes, that's, that's, that's no rules. You, Oh yes, that's two rules. Okay, what what are the rules? You can't gouge the eyes and you can't bite and everything else goes. And I was kind of my God, what is this game? You know, I never had seen anything. Uh, maybe a little bit of penetration. So I was uh, ruling the the side TV and stuff, but I had no idea what it was. And that was in the cage and stuff. So I was kind of oh well. So I call my uh, my trainer my coach, uh, Didier, and I say, hey, do you know all of that? And he didn't know. He thought, like me, that it was a kickboxing tournament. So he said, okay, I pull you out. I don't want you. You're not prepared for that and stuff. And we're 10, ten uh, days away. And I say, no, 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 no. The, 
I, I have to say, you know, so the, the price was not bad and I say, okay, I, let's give it a try. That's it. And so there we, we went. We, we went to, there was, um, um, uh, what was the name of the, the, the city in North Carolina? So it was Winston-Salem. Yeah, right? yeah. Winston-Salem. Yeah. Yes, it was. So we went over there and stuff and, uh, so on the, on the, um, the peak of my opponents that uh, I fought against uh, James Waring. And uh, so the, that started pretty well for me, but uh, my concern about this this fight is that uh, the referee uh, was really the third man in the in the fight and he was pushing and pressuring us. Me, I had my plan, break, break his leg, go for his leg and Loki came and Loki came and Loki came until he could not up again and the guy was pushing those Cecil people and uh, which is since that's not my favorite ref at all you know because he was here Ali, Ali, go 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 guys don't stop blah, blah. and that was kind of going against my my game plan and that pissed me off so I, I tried to go a little bit more drastic I tried to pull the guy down he was 35 pounds heavier than me I could not even move him so and uh that's you you saw the fight you saw what's happened he, yeah he hit me and uh, on top of the head so it was good powerful people person and uh so i dropped and you know in my mind i had been dropped a, a few times before and you have the eight count right and so i opened my eyes and what i see is a big foot going to my face it's gonna oh shoot that's right there's no stoppage here and yes i i sadly that was the beginning of the hand for me in this fight but well that was the experience that was the adventure and uh i don't regret i'm i i got a good good price out of it and uh later on during the dinner uh james warren came and sit next to me so uh, we were talking body because I didn't speak English very well at the time, but uh, he told me, you know, you will have kicked me a couple of more times. I will have give up. You hurt my leg bad. So I say, okay, you should have told me that in the cage. And now uh, we're laughing together. And uh, so it actually was a decent guy. But uh, yes, that was the, the experience I got from uh, this WCC stream. You know, I got, I got to ask you too. Um, obviously you were there. Um, I, I know that uh, you had a pretty bad cut from the uh, fight with uh, James Waring. Well, I, I don't know exactly how bad it was, but uh, were you there um, when uh, he almost went the distance with uh, Eric Paulson and just wouldn't let go of his hair? Yes, 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 yes. It's, uh, yes, so that's, you know, that's, that was kind of street fight made by... Uh, by uh, experts and, and some sports there. So, yes, I, I talked with uh, Eric Paulson after that. I say, why, why do you get long hair? Because this guy was an MMA fighter already at the time. He had the experience in the North Bar and uh, in the submission wrestling and stuff. And he told me, yes, because I needed long hair for for TV shows that he was doing or something like that. So it's kind of, uh, okay. But yeah, Eric Paulson was a good, good guy. And uh, we, we got in touch several times since that. He's a, he's a nice guy. He's nice yes. and, and great fighter with a great, great career behind him. I have uh, only good thing to say about uh, about Eric. So, but yes, this fight, you know, he, uh, you know, that, 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 was, that was what happened. After that, uh, worrying, we could not 
move very well because uh, his his leg was hurting. Uh, get against uh, Renzo Gracie and uh, got submit. Yeah, and uh, but but you remember the tournament? Yes, yeah. I saw all of that because right after the fight, so I was uh, my face was beat uh, on my on the top of my head and on my uh, under my right eyes, which was also why I kind of tapped out because I, I had blood in both my eyes and I could not see nothing. And uh, so that's maybe on the screen you can see, but uh, that's kind of hard to to keep fighting in this condition. Uh, I was not in pain. Uh, but I remember that for the first time of my career and the last time, because it never happened after that, I was kind of, kind of scared that something bad going to happen because I could not defend myself. So I could not see what was going on. And, uh, after that, I had seven stitches on top of my head and seven stitches on the, on my face, on the, under my right eyes. So, uh, but I was in time to go and see the, the second tour and uh, to see the other fights. And yeah, I saw them all. Yes. Uh, in, the, in the doctor, the doctor was saying that uh, he had done all of the UFC because I was after the UFC, the first two UFC happened in 93. And this fight was October 95. So there was something like three, four uh, events before in in uh, North Park. And he said that he had more work for the, with the WCC in one event than he had in all of the, the, the UFC combined. So that was kind of, uh, okay. Yes. Anyway, anyway, that's like I say, that was a good experience. Not yes. the only one I had uh, in my career. I have a lot of fights and um, as an amateur and as a professional. And yeah, I, I, I fought for a long um, 25 years. So... <laughs> Yes, um, I've been going through YouTube uh, prior to this interview to uh, see to see if there's anything I hadn't seen before because I, you know, as mentioned, I I watched the uh, tournament, uh, the K1 tournament in Las Vegas, where uh, you won the first fight, but then unfortunately uh, you lost to Rick Rufus in the second round. Uh, but uh, the one fight that I see online uh, that really impresses me and. I remember in your preview for the WCC that you it was it was noted that uh, you have very good kicks, but yeah, uh, you, you have uh, take a bit more pride with your hands. And I was I watched that fight where uh, you uh, fought that guy, the fight in France where you fought the guy from uh, Thailand, and uh, boy, that that yes. was imp- that was impressive, impressive uh, yeah, power. Yeah, Fotai was a good Thai boxer, but uh, he was a little bit lighter than me. Uh, we went the way in. I was 85 kilograms. He was 78 kilograms. And he weighed in with his clothes on. So I think that he was more 76 or 75, even, you know. Uh, he, looked, he was a lefty. He low-kicked me inside my front leg. Right away in the fight, my my front leg, uh, the inside of my front leg turned black right away in an instant, and I say, oh, I can't get hit like that again, because that was a fight, that was a tournament, there was eight men in the in the same evening, so I say, okay, I gotta I gotta do something, and that's when I accelerate. Um, my plan was not to rush like that, but uh, well, you know, the circumstances uh, happened that way, so I went after him and um, and I catch him good. 
this guy had more than 120 victory in Thai boxing. So that was uh, that was not a bad guy. He was Lumbini champion at one point, I guess, and in heavyweight for Thai, which is uh, lighter than heavyweight in for European guy, of course. But uh, yeah, it was uh, that was a fast good fight, yeah, and yes. I used my boxing definitely for that, and my weight also, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, impressive, impressive power in your hands there, and then. It was after that that uh, you had fought uh, Rob Kamen. There's, there's a. I think you learned that night that uh, there's a reason why they call him Hammer Kick. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot to say about this uh, this thing. Also, uh, now I talk with Rob pretty often. We're still friends to these days. Uh, that was the second fight, the second time I fought him. Uh, the first first time was end of the year '94. And uh, I got uh, the, the the call uh, on the Tuesday night to fight on the Friday night, and uh, that's an opportunity that you, you don't let go, you know, because uh, I, I owned my gym at the time and I was working out alongside my uh, students. I had a lot of uh, high level and high caliber uh, um, uh, fighters in my gym, so uh, getting in shape and keeping in shape all the time. And we were at the call. Being from Avignon, which was kind of an uncentered um, city uh, uh, compared to Lyon, Marseille, or Paris, we didn't get a call all the time. So I, I make a point to make my gym known to always accept the fight. And uh, I was giving the example too. So I got called on Tuesday by, by Didier Lebon and he say, hey, we have the possibility to fight Kaman Friday night, what you say? And uh, I said, but Friday night you will be in the corner of uh, Murad Jebli for world title in Corsica. But he said, yes, but do you want to do it? And you can go with one of your students. That's what I did. I, I took my my best student and I said, you're going to coach me. And uh, we went to Paris and uh, a few days later we fought uh, Rob Kaman. Uh, I was always ready to fight, but uh, fighting Rob was, uh, wow, another experience. Anyway, I started to, to work a little bit more on my blocking and uh, the, the thing like that. But same thing, uh, for the tournament, uh, DJ called me, that was uh, Tuesday night again, and he told me, okay, Thursday you're in Paris. For what? Uh, because you're going to be in this TV show. I say, oh, cool. Uh, that's Nul Par Ailleurs was a very famous TV show in France at the time, uh, put on by Canal Plus, you know. And uh, so I went over there, and that was a very, very good thing. And and, and they announced my fight against uh, uh, in the tournament, the eight man tournament, two days later, uh, the Saturday night. And uh, yes, I uh, we meet with Rob. Oh, who we, we had already encountered several times because he was coaching people in the same gala or he was fighting, the same gala was fighting and stuff. So we knew each other pretty well. You know, Europe is a little, is a little continent and uh, that's, that's some, some, a lot of uh, events uh, at the time, especially there was event all the time. So we were crossing each other pretty often and we became pretty good friends. And uh, so we talked the, the, the day before the, the tournament, and he told me, I don't want to fight you. <laughs> and I told him, dude, I want to fight you in the final. And that was good because he was in the other bracket. He uh, won his bracket. Very, very tough fight against the Australian guy uh, in the semifinal, actually, uh, Petredis. And me on the semifinal, I broke the leg of my opponent in the first 
few seconds of the fight. So uh, his name was uh, Sean Johnson from England, and I low kicked him twice, and uh, I got him bad. He was heavier than me, but uh, I, I caught him good, and uh, he had to quit. He had, um, yeah, actually, I, I sectioned uh, the ligament on his left leg, and he had to to get uh, surgery. I'm not proud of that, you know. After the fight, you you are happy because you win, but after that, man, I don't I don't want to injure people. That's not what I. Yeah. Uh, that's not the goal. That's a sport, you know. But uh, after that, I was with uh, with Rob, and um, we did a good uh, good uh, fight. The referee later on. Um, uh, a very, very good uh, French referee, Abderrahman. And uh, he told me later that if there was anybody else than Rob Kaman, he would have stopped at the third round. He told me, I, I give him the, the benefits of the doubt because, you know, uh, uh, you were dominating and you were hurting him and he was really, really hurt. He, uh, he didn't count him. He told me also he should have counted him twice on the third round. He didn't because that was Kaman, you know. So that's kind of that's play against me. But anyways, this tournament put my name on the on the planet, and the performance I did uh, against Rob, Rob, uh, kind of um, you know, kind of uh, wake my name at the ears of the the people. So uh, no regrets there too. So it's a great night for me, and uh, and yes, that's. Uh, uh, fighting the, the the best in the planet is uh, is a good thing. <laughs> yes. So we got about uh, ten to fifteen minutes left here for the segment. Uh, Want to take a moment to talk uh, about the artist Savat alone? I mean, it's it's fascinated me for, since the first time I saw it. And you're you're actually the first one that um, I've I've ever heard of that uh, had ever practiced Savat that because I hadn't even watched UFC one at the time. I watched WCC before I watched UFC one. I one thing I will tell you is the two people that have practiced Savat that I know of in the old days. One I like, and that's you. I don't have a problem with you. The other guy I who practiced Savat, I I don't care for him at all. Yeah, he he's dirty, and rumor has it he's a racist. So. <laughs> Who is this guy? Uh, Ger- Gerard Gordeau. I don't know him. I know his name, but I don't know yeah, him at all. He's, he's from a the Dutch Netherlands. guy, right? Yeah, he's from the Netherlands. He bit Hoist Gracie's ear in the finals in uh, UFC 1. Okay. And uh, so, he was also in a tournament in Japan where he, uh, got, he gouged the eye of his opponent. But still, he lost the fight in the end. Hmm. I I don't know Gerard Gordo. I uh-huh. I know that he's Dutch, and uh, but I I have I don't know anything about. Him. I, I never saw him fight actually, to tell the truth. And uh, I know that he's he did some savat, but um, even then he's not recognized as a savat uh, uh, champion. You know. So, yeah. but anyway, I start my uh, my savat uh, time. Uh, I switched gym in uh, when I get out. I, I was in the army in '85, '86, and when I come back from the army, um, I, I wanted to do savat, so I went with uh, with this uh, team in Marseille, and uh, I, I start to fight with them and stuff. And the the first year, so '87, uh, I fought for them in savat. And uh, I got robbed, drastically robbed in the semifinal of the French championship 
against uh, a guy that himself came to me and say, you, you, you're not happy, yeah? And say, yeah, of course I'm not happy. I, I don't deserve to lose this fight. And say, yeah, I know, you, you beat me up. And, uh, and, you know, so anyway, he went in the final and uh, and uh, when, when I should have done. So uh, I decided, no, I stopped. I stopped. So I hope that's not, that's, they're robbing people because in kickboxing at the time that's happened, but really not very often to get robbed. And, um, and there, one of my, uh, that was what, my six fights and so that, and I got robbed in the semifinals of the French Championship. I was pissed. I just eliminated the French champion on the tour before. So I was kind of uh, not happy. Uh, anyway, my trainer kind of convinced me to get back back in the in 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 eighty nine. Um and that was when I was coming back from the US where I had to train with Jeff Smith, with uh, uh Jimmy Jones in boxing and his um Olympia boxing and, and um that was when, uh, what what was the name of the false church in false church it was, yes. And uh so uh in, in, I felt very comfortable. I did a few fights there and I, I won all of the fight. And so I was feeling very comfortable. So I said, okay, but uh, I'll tell you, don't be surprised. I will knock out everybody. And actually, I, I, I almost did. I did uh, eight fights that season. And uh, in the, the end of the season, I took the, uh, Achille Roger, who was a world champion, Savat. And uh, because every year you have to do the, the, the same the same thing in the competition till you get to the final and uh, of the French Championship to go to the the next level, and I knock him out in the fourth round, and I was very happy <laughs> about it. And, and the same year I did the uh, uh, French Championship in um, professional in in kickboxing uh, a week later actually, and I won this uh, this second title of the year in in kickboxing. Uh, and after that, the Savat Federation contacted me and say, you have to stop doing kickboxing, uh, because you're, you're doing Savat and we don't, uh, uh, do the, we, we don't allow people who do Savat do kickboxing also. And I say, okay, so kickboxing is my base. I will stop doing Savat. And I did Savat only in, um, in, um, uh, how you call that in, in events, but not, not for titles. So I did just a few few fights. Um, anyway, I, I have 11 fights in Savat. I have uh, 10 victory, 8 by knockout, and 1 losses against uh, this gentleman. That uh, actually don't think I, I lose the fight, but uh, that's the way it is. Uh, I, what I take out of the Savat, I, I don't have a lot of fights in Savat, only 11 out of my 113 fights in my career. So, but what what I took from Savat is the organization of the fight, the in out, getting out of the way, and uh, getting uh, it way less than uh, what you get hit um, if you are not as organized in your way of fighting. So, I thank Savat for the fact that I still have some uh, some uh, cell in my brain <laughs> today. <laughs> yes. That's what I want to say. That. Uh... Now, please correct me if I'm wrong, but when I look at Savat, this is the impression I get. It's um, obviously, um, a, a lot of people call it French kickboxing. but uh, It is. Yeah. It is the French kickboxing. Yeah. 
I the impression I get, it's kind of more or less. It's not like Muay Thai, and it's not like uh, traditional kickboxing. It kind of looks a little bit like uh, you're combining uh, boxing with Taekwondo. Okay, so uh, the difference uh, in savat is uh, you have savat means all shoes in French. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, literally, uh, savat is old shoes. So we fight with shoes. Of course, the competition shoes are reinforced to hold your foot very well, and uh, your shoes and your foot became be, be, become a real weapon. And uh, we are not allowed to kick with uh, the shin. We have to kick with the foot. And the distance of the fight is uh, is farther than kickboxing or tie boxing. And uh, so to be at this fighting distance with the feet, uh, you move a lot and you get out of the axes a lot and stuff. And and uh, you, you kick also in the legs, also in Savat, so, which is the difference that with the Taekwondo. But um, yes, that's kind of that's the fast pace of um, of taekwondo with uh, with the kickboxing because we, we box also we have uh, some some good um, that's the same rules with the end that uh, boxing that that we have in boxing so we box and we kick with the foot actually and not with the shin that's why that's look a little different and a little faster also and uh, until recently. Uh, Savat was the the maximum you could do was five rounds of two minutes, and uh, so at this uh, this timing you have to go very fast, very fast. But I can tell you something that's a very very efficient sport because the shoes, when you hit, that's hurt. And uh, out of my ten victory, I get eight by knockout. So that's uh, that's also something when people say, yes, look like it's not very efficient or blah, 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 or, or the criticism says, yes, it is. It is very efficient because uh, with the shoes, we can kick even harder knowing that we kick with the foot and uh, without hurting our, our foot or toes and stuff like that because the reinforcement of the shoes. Yes. And that's also very light shoes. That means that you can kick very fast also and uh, the motion is fast also because uh, uh, the slide a little easier on the on the floor that uh, with the bar feet now I have one more question here before we wrap it up Jerome uh, since uh, since you have fought in the WCC and you fought in K1 and, and uh, we've looked over the last few years maybe the last decade actually of how Fighting has evolved, you know, especially uh, from no holds barred to MMA, and we see the uh, how the um, how important it is to know how to grapple if you want to be in uh, MMA. And we've seen uh, even if you're uh, just primarily a stand up striker, we've seen we've seen uh, from boxing to kickboxing, we've seen all that evolved. And what has been your what has been your impression of that, uh, how it's evolved since over these last few years? So what uh, I, I see a little bit of fighting and stuff, and at one point the people were dominating totally the, the UFC and other MMA uh, kind of fight were the wrestler because uh, the, the toughness of the sport, first of all, all of the wrestlers that I know are super, super tough guy. I used to spark Ken Velasquez uh, for quite some time. 
And I tell you that, uh, oh my God, that's the the hardest sparring I, I had uh, for, for a long, long time. So, of course, I was 20 pounds lighter and uh, 20 years younger. But uh, out of that, this guy was a machine and uh, his wrestling was impressing and stuff. So what I want to say is, uh, yeah, for for some time, wrestling uh, really dominated the, the, the UFC. But we can see now that uh, more and more the fighter in the in the MMA uh starts to be very well rounded uh which actually provide for us a more striking contest because uh, all of them know that if they go in the floor that will be maybe less interesting made for for the the, the profane for the people who don't really know the rules and stuff of uh, of the ground and uh, so that's the I, I have the feeling that more and more fighters have the tendency to stay stay up till they are sure they're going to conclude with a submission or something like that. So that's, that's my perspective. Now I, I'm not watching too many, uh, uh, MMA tournament. I, um, I go generally to the, to, to, to the venue here in San Jose when, uh, when, uh, they, they have a show here, uh, Bellator or, or UFC even, uh, but, uh, UFC there was only once. Um, but, uh, yeah, on TV, I, I, I like boxing. I always like boxing. I always love boxing, and I watch a lot of boxing match actually. And when I have the opportunity, I watch some some Thai boxing, some kickboxing. But uh, MMA is certainly uh, um, because that was not my uh, my game. I have only two fights in MMA: I have a, a loss and a, and a draw. So, and the second thing was too full of rules. Uh, uh, even compared to the MMA of today, so that, that was kind of uh, a little strange. Uh, yes, that's that's my perspective on that. Now I'm training some people who uh, will fight in MMA. Certainly, I, I'm training them, of course, on the on the the striking side because I'm not an expert on the floor. Even if now I'm, I did a little bit of judo, a little bit of jujitsu and a little bit of wrestling, so I, I can afford myself okay on the ground, but that's not the place that I want to go anyway. <laughs> I prefer to be on my feet. Well, Jerome, that's all the questions I have for you, and you've been very, very informative and insightful. I mean, I've really enjoyed listening to you. Um, we're gonna hear. Uh, I, I, like I say, I hope people will have understand what I say, because uh, sometimes people have uh, trouble to, to, to get my... Uh, my my work my my word through because of my accent. So, <laughs> oh no, I, uh, your your English is pretty good, so I can understand you Thank just you perfectly. So, yes, but, uh, yes, that's that's just a question of accent. If you if you if I you want me to to finish with that, I'm uh, uh, I, I I have a side job if I can say that like that. That's more a hobby of uh, of sort. Uh, I am a writer. I uh, wrote a lot of books. I have uh, 11 books to beach right now. And uh, all of them you can find on Amazon. And that's mostly a uh, story for kids and poetry. That's, <laughs> so hey, that's, that's the second aspect of my personality. So I write in English. Seven of my books are, are written, in, written in English and four in French. So, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm I uh, I um, brag that I can 
speak and write in English pretty correctly. Now, of course, uh, that's not my uh, first language, so I still make some mistake and uh, and of course, my accent is still very thick. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, that's quite all right, quite all right. Especially, I'll tell you really quick uh, too. Is um, you know, I mean, I've only traveled. Uh, twice outside of the U.S. First time was uh, up in Montreal, where, of course, they speak French up there. Uh, the yes, second they time, a lot of cousin over there. <laughs> <laughs> second time uh, was uh, almost 10 years ago when I went to uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. And, there, of course, uh, you have people there from other parts of Africa that also speak mm-hmm. French. And uh, believe me, their their accents are a lot heavier than yours. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. <laughs> All right, but that's Billy, that, that was a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, absolutely. I want to thank you so much for joining the show, and hey, best of luck to you in your future endeavors. Thank you very much. Happy New Year, and uh, have a great uh, day, rest of the day. And where are you based? You're not around here, right? I'm in I'm in Idaho. I'm Idaho. I'm north, okay, north okay, of okay, you. Okay, so. <laughs> okay, Billy. Talk to you soon. All right, take care. And there you have the interview with retired kickboxer Jerome Turcon. It was great talking to him. It's time to go to our first music set. Coming up, we have the Dave Nudo Band. Going to be followed by JR. Yes, a South African rapper there. We got a new track from Bullet to the Heart. We got Kelly Rucker. And we got Big Chuck. Be right back after this. This is the kind of thing that just tickles my balls. You're listening to Outlaw Radio, and if you don't agree with our opinions, then fuck your mother. Hey, do you kiss your girlfriend with that mouth? About sick and tired of this adulting stuff. I'm a hot mess, I need a cold drink. I'm right at the point, I don't care what you think, but I'm cool. I'm gonna duck out of here, gonna find my friends and get up. You're invited if you wanna come, gonna take the day off, gonna get me some, gonna raise some hell out in the woods. So far, so good. Yeah, like- 
I got my butt plug, and I can't get it out. Butt plugs! So, so when? Yeah, MP. My mom is gonna love this one, man. Nice time. Won't you give me that old time feeling at the DJ's at work, volume one, before Pitori was city of Twan. Although I remember him passing, Hotato Hopola double HP, but the Jabulani Tambo verbal assassin. Even when I come juicing, La Puza Ripuze, Nagi Patala Kuze. And it takes a Hale, or Utrayani Busa, and the Kubota Kude. Make sure Hora Wanguja, so you understand. Make sure Hora Wanguja, so you got a plan. Or the peanut butter jam is easy. But this one here is an all time feeling. Hey, give me that. 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 Hey,
Make sure Hoda on Kuja Make sure you understand Make sure Hoda on Kuja So you got a plan Or the peanut butter jam is easy But this one here is an all-time feeling so, Got it, I'm from the city of Twine That's the whole mother late great Iggy Motwine Boss, yo I'm from the city of Twine Got a whole mother late great Iggy Motwine God, get to the city of Twine That's a whole mother late great Iggy Motwine God, boy get to the city of Twine That's a whole mother late great Iggy Motwine So, even when I come to Zay La Pusa de Pusa Yankee Bata La Cousa And it takes a hale Or you try any Pusa And you put a Kude Make sure Hoda on Kuja, so you understand. Make sure Hoda on Kuja, so you got a plan. Or the peanut butter jam is easy. But this one here is an all-time feeling. Give me that, give, give me that, hey. 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 Give me that, give, give me that. Come do them, la puza de puza, and I keep at the lacuse. And it takes a hollow world to get a booze and a couple of good days. Make sure Hora one good time, make sure you understand. Make sure Hora one good time, make sure you got a plan. What a peanut butter jam is easy, but this one here is an all time feeling. Rise, rise, we are the Oh! <laughs> 
the bottom, guess I paid my dues I walked so far, I got holes in my shoes Lord, I know about the small town blues I made the front page cause I was bad news Ain't too many things that I ever could refuse Lord, I know about the small town blues See, I'm feasting on the weekend, make a living off entertaining This game is interchanging, gotta keep them from complaining The rain has a purpose, along with the sun You gotta focus on your mission, not the battles you won See a predator, he hunts for his food He don't wait for it, he don't depend on no man He go and take for it, say son too But they fishing is stricken See they feasting off the rest, and they always hissing Learn to play my position, yeah stick to the road You won't admit it, but you always just did what you told I'm prepared for the cold, I was built for the heat Wild and reckless as a younger with no shoes on my feet Had to lace up my boots and put it in cruise I got some scratches and bruises and scars that can't be removed I stayed on the path, felt the wrath of it too And Lord I know about the small town Came from the bottom, guess I paid my dues I walked so far, I got holes in my shoes Lord I know about the small town blues I made the front page cause I was bad news Ain't too many things that I ever could refuse Lord I know about the small town blues I ride the same roads my daddy rode Live the same stories told Even speak the same tongue that my old daddy spoke Renegade ways in my days I seen crazy things Hard to believe that I ain't end up in the early grave Hustling in the chain game In the streets the same thing Get it how I get it Trying to help to keep my baby safe Mama tried to steer me down the road From them worldly ways to keep me from traveling down the path My granddaddy laid Outlaw, country bread Handy way to fishing hook Walk behind wall My only friend was the good book The man that I was Is the man that I am Stand proud for my kin And the ones that stay calm from the bottom Guess I paid my dues I walked so far I got holes in my shoes Lord I know About the small town blues I made the front page Cause I was bad news There is no other feeling than strapping up or grabbing those kettlebells, grappling on the mat, or doing some shadow boxing, getting knocked down, getting back up, throwing strikes, and then doing it all over again. So when you hear someone scream, gear up, you better get ready, because it's just you, your hunter athletic gear, and the voice telling you to train harder. No matter how much experience you have, hunter athletic gear stands with you all the way. Their products are engineered for utmost comfort, and speed battle after battle hunter athletic gear is the brand celebrating your victory hunter athletic gear has a range of great training and fight gear for men and ladies including compression pants fight shorts hoodies vests caps and bikinis they can create custom branded ranges for your gym or business visit their website at huntermma.co.za gear up and let's train 
What news and information are your media dollars buying when the narrative is prescribed by the advertisers? Scripted lies, media brainwashing, and thought control. Take back your voice. Take back our media. But most of all, take back our First Amendment. Subscribe to Caravan to Midnight today for hard-hitting commentary free from political correctness and media bias as I and some of the most intelligent and interesting people on Earth delve deep into what really lies beyond the headlines. Three to four hour uninterrupted and uncensored information. Join our CTM family today. Join the movement. Join the fight for freedom and independence. Caravan to Midnight is media for the people, by the people, independent of commercial obligations or influence. For less than a cup of coffee per month, you can make a difference. Let the people fund the next news network. Help us grow. Help us create a platform where we place freedom of speech and thought first. Join the family at caravantomidnight.com. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment of the United States of America's Constitution. This Second Amendment, the right of law-abiding Americans to privately own and possess firearms, is under attack like no other time in America's history. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have pledged to take away your Second Amendment rights through gun bans, gun confiscations, and government regulations. Even a gun tax. Do not take this lying down. The time to take action and fight to protect your Second Amendment rights is now. Join the Second Amendment Foundation, the oldest and largest nonprofit foundation focused on protecting your Second Amendment rights. For more information, to join or to donate, visit saf.org. Ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to announce that Outlaw Radio officially has affiliation with MyPillow. Mike Lindell supports America, and we support Mike, but sadly, him and his company have been victimized by this cancel culture. But that's not going to stop Mike from making sure you get the best sleep possible, and now is the time to take advantage of those savings. Go to www.outlawradioabs.com. Go to the store section, click on the MyPillow banner, and start your online shopping. Be sure to use the promo code OUTLAW and get up to 66% off your purchase. And if you act right now, you can get our standard My Pillow for $19.98, regular price $69.98. These pillows are made right here in the USA and are washable. So again, go to www.outlawradioabs.com. Go to the store section. Click on the My Pillow banner and start your online shopping. But remember to use that promo code OUTLAW to take advantage of those savings. Or you can place your order by calling 1-800-652-3982. And now a message for the men. Listen up, guys. Fact. As we men age, our IGF-1 growth factor levels decrease, which can lead to gradual deterioration of energy, muscle growth, and immune function. From Neutronics Labs comes a line of health supplements that make men men again. Deer Antler Velvet. Listen. IGF-1 Plus Deer Antler Velvet contains the most concentrated source of widely diversified nutrition found in the plant or animal kingdom. Choose from Neutronics Labs liposome spray products. 
Plus, from the Ultra 10,000 Nanograms Package to the Platinum 300,000 Nanograms Package. They're also specially formulated supplements for joint pain relief, more energy, better stamina, better natural sleep, stress relief, and weight loss. For more information about these amazing products, visit keys2life.shop. That's K-E-Y-S, the number two, life.shop. IGF-1 Plus Deer Antler Velvet Supplements from Neutronics Labs. Making men, men again. Yo, baby, you've had your asshole licked by a fat man in an overcoat? Fuck the shit. Fuck the fucking shit. Fuck shit. You're listening to Outlaw Radio. Now buy a sewing machine, take it home, and cram it up your ass. Fuck shit. The shit. Fuck shit. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outlaw Radio, brought to you by Coldcock Whiskey. Raise your glass, take a shot. You must be 21 years of age or older to drink. Hunter Athletic, gear up, let's train. And Neutronics IGF-1, making men, men again. The songs you just heard, you just heard Small Town Blues by Big Chuck. Before that, Take Me As I Am by Kelly Rucker. Before that, Bullet to the Heart with Bloodline. Before that, South African rapper JR with Old Time Feeling. And starting off the whole set, Dave Nudo Band with So Far So Good. And yes, So Far So Good, even though I'm a bit under the weather. In just a little bit, I'm in, you're going to hear a discussion that I had with Jenny Coffee out of New Hampshire. Of course, uh, like I said... Uh, her and I may differ on some political opinions, but uh, we are both very, very pro Second Amendment. We're getting to, we're going to talk about that. Before I get to that, though, it is time to reveal the Outlaw Radio Idiot of the Week. And, ladies and gentlemen, the Outlaw Radio Idiot of the Week this week is David Bateman out of Utah. So, <laughs> yeah, this idiot uh, who's, uh, he's with this uh, company called Entrada, decided to uh, send out uh, anti-Semitic emails saying that uh, COVID-19 is an extermination weapon put out by the Jews. Let's uh, hear the news report on this. The founder of tech company Entrada will no longer be associated with the company at all after sending a widely condemned anti-Semitic email. And this is the latest step in the saga that erupted earlier this week. Our Daniel Woodruff has been following it from the very beginning. He's joining us live from Lehigh with this update. Daniel. Yeah, we've learned Dave Bateman will unload all of his financial holdings with Entrada located here in Lehigh. This comes three days after he resigned his position on the company's board of directors and as its chairman. Entrada CEO Adam Edmonds tweeting this afternoon, quote, the Entrada board of directors and executive team has informed David Bateman that he must divest his equity holdings promptly. Mr. Bateman has agreed to cooperate with that process. Now, Bateman was widely condemned for an email he sent claiming that there is a COVID-19 mass extermination plot underway, and he blamed that unfounded conspiracy theory on, quote, the Jews. He was universally criticized for his comments by just about everybody, including the governor. 
Bateman was one of the founders of Entrada back in 2003. The company provides property management software and employs about 1,400 people, according to its website. Bateman was also involved in Utah Republican politics, including paying the party's legal debt several years ago. Now, I talked to Dave Bateman earlier this week. Originally, he told me he was planning to make some apologies for that anti-Semitic email. Then he changed his story, now saying he doesn't plan to make any public statements about this controversy. Reporting live in Lehigh, Daniel Woodruff, KUTV 2 News. Wow, I guess we can say uh, that wasn't a very smart move on his part. but And uh, apparently he's not sorry for it. <laughs> wow. Just wow. Anyway, let's move on. Outlaw Radio Gun Talk with special guest Jenny Coffee. Here we go. It's time for Outlaw Radio Gun Talk. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this edition of Outlaw Radio Gun Talk. Now, I am joined by somebody who's, you could say, uh, her politics in many ways, very much differ from mine, but where we both agree on very strongly is the Second Amendment. I want to welcome Jenny Coffey out of New Hampshire to the show. Jenny, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thank you very much for joining the show. Yeah, no, happy to be here. Yes. I bet we agree on more than you realize. Oh, yeah. there. I mean, there. I know there's a lot we don't uh agree on but uh, yep. at the at the same time there there's a lot that we do agree on too absolutely absolutely the second amendment is definitely one that's uh, a biggie i was um quite the advocate for a long time <laughs> yes um now in, in your own words i uh, want you explain why you exactly are an activist you can say and a strong supporter of the second amendment oh geez well that's an easy one um the Second Amendment is a basic human right, and period, end of story. I have a right to life no differently than anybody else, but a criminal doesn't have a greater right to life than I. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about somebody trying to take your life from you and whether or not you have the right to choose your own life, right? Exactly. Um, and that's, 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 the, that's the get-go. Um, what happened was, and this is a long time ago, but when I was in my 20s, mm -hmm. um, I was a young mom, married. Um, my husband, who's now deceased, and I'm, uh, I'm a, a widowed divorcee, um, he was somebody that grew up with firearms. He grew up in Kentucky, rural Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Firearms were, were, were basic to them. And um, my stepfather liked to, to shoot as well. I was afraid of firearms, totally afraid of firearms. I didn't want anything to do with it. In fact, he had a 22 rifle mm -hmm. in the house. It was the only firearm in the house. And um, I uh, didn't like it. After our son was born, I'm like, you know, I don't think we should have this in the house. It's just not safe. You know, we got to get rid of this thing. And um, he would argue with me. Nope, nope, nope. You know, we, we should be able to defend ourselves. And then I'm like, defend yourself from what? We live in Plymouth, Massachusetts, man. I mean, come on. We don't live. This is 
Plymouth, Massachusetts. It's not rural Kentucky, which is where we got married. So I can say that honestly with my own three years of living there experience, but that's a different story. Mm -hmm. So I think my son must have, no, I know my son must have been around mm, 10 months or so years old. And we believed in our philosophy of parenting that we were going to raise our son, not a daycare, not anybody else but us. So in order to facilitate that, I worked 7 to 3 a.m. to p.m. He worked 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. And we worked at the same injection molding factory, making parts for cars like um, airbags. Right. I, I worked at injection molding press. I've done a lot of jobs in my life. It's kind of made for some interesting stories. But um, it was uh, what it usually what would happen is we'd, we'd all get up in the morning together mm -hmm. and he would pile into our one car and he would drive me to work and then drive home and take care of our son. And then when it would get close to quit time, pack him back in the car, come on back to the shop. And I would clock out and come out, give him a smooch. He'd go in, clock in, and start the 3 to 11 shift, and I would drive home. Mm -hmm. If I was lucky, somebody that he was working with would drive him home. If not, 11 o'clock at night, I'd pack up and go pick him up. And this is how we worked things. This is back in uh, the 1990s, early 1990s. A lot of the things that people have today we didn't have back then of course like, um but th but that's like, again i don't want to get this this uh jointed from that so we lived in a just a, a one-bedroom apartment we were hoping to get a better place and across the street from us was a post office a pharmacy and a bar no big deal never we'd been there for almost a year and nothing was was bad so I'm sitting in the living room one night, about 10 o'clock at night. My son's in his crib sleeping, and I hear these two guys outside the door. And our, our apartment was ground level. The door out was the sidewalk, literally. And then the street, there was like no greenery in the front. So these two guys are right there, and they're getting loud, and they're being, they're cussing left and right. They're obviously shit out. And then one of them decides he's going to relieve himself in my doorway. I'm like, because oh, I'm looking through the people going, come on. Mm -hmm. So call the police. Hey, there's these two guys and I don't want them to wake up my son. You know, could you get them to move along or whatever, right? So cop car comes, tells them, move along. You know, come on, guys, go on. And he leaves. And the cop pulls away. And I swear he wasn't gone more than, God, a second it felt like. And they're back. And now they're slamming. Bam, bam, bam. Who the fuck called the police? I'm going to fucking kill you. Son of a... And they're screaming and they're pounded into the wall. They're pounded into the... I thought they were going to come through the window. I was shaking. I was terrified. And in that moment, I didn't know what to do. The only way to get out of our apartment was right at the sidewalk where they were. Yeah. I couldn't climb out the window with the baby. What do I do? In that moment, I grabbed that 22. It's not like I hadn't shot it. I wasn't fond of it, but, you know, I was a girl. I went along with hubby and, and stepfather, you know, to go shoot. I grabbed that thing, 
And I sat in the chair facing the door where those two guys are. And I made sure it was loaded. And I sat there with it. And I called back the cops. And the woman, and, and I'm like, you got to send it. And I'm helping. She can hear them through the phone. She can hear them. And I'm going, where did they go? Where did they go? The cop was just here. He was just here. They're going to get in. Mm-hmm. And then in that moment, I literally said to her, I have a fire. I have my rifle in my lap. I have an RFID card. I'm a legal owner. Because back then you had to have a firearms identification card in order to have mace and or a long gun. They were on one license in mm-hmm. the state of Massachusetts. And my stepfather wanted me to have pepper spray. So I'd gotten it. Well, we had the 22. So it covered that too. And I had the desire, the need, if you will, to tell her that I had the legal right to this firearm. I had the legal right to defend myself. What the hell was I saying? But back then, my God, I was terrified. The only thing between my life and my son was that firearm. If they had gotten through. And then the cops finally come back. The woman's telling me, I can hear them. I can hear them. Don't worry. Help is on the way. Like, where the hell they go? Like, mm-hmm. dude was here. For me, it felt like forever. But when the cop came back, the two of them took off. They're running across the street. I'm looking at them through the blinds, and I'm telling her on the phone where they're going. And they run across the street to the post office. They hid behind something over there. The cops grabbed them. And this time, this time, they put them in the back of the cruiser and took them away. In that moment, I became a Second Amendment advocate. Now, we're... Hear this straight, because, you know, I mean, uh, John B. Wells said this when I talked to him uh, about that situation in my hometown where uh, that little boy was killed. And we're talking, uh, that where I grew up was a town of 700 people. And um, almost three years ago, or almost two years ago, some lunatic from Florida wandered into that town where I grew up in, where hardly the worst that usually happens is a DUI, maybe somebody shoplifting or somebody in a fight are the worst things like that normally happen there. Some lunatic who's originally from Florida wandered into that town and he was, he was obviously looking for a victim he was saying in the this was uh, right around the beginning of COVID, uh, just before all the lockdowns and the quarantines and all that. And story has it that he was talking about this is the end of the world. And he just pulls out a high-powered rifle and starts firing at this family's uh, trailer house and killed their little boy. And the, you think, you know, you say Plymouth, Massachusetts, or we say Horseshoe Bend, Idaho. This is a safe area. The, yeah. tr- the truth is, we're not safe. I had so many of those stories. So many of those stories. It, it wasn't that, it, it, it was much later, actually. It was fast forwarding into the early 2000s, 2005, 2006. I moved to New Hampshire. And the next thing I know, I'm the state coordinator for the Second Amendment Sisters. And that progressed. And I ended up becoming the national spokeswoman and I was on the board of directors and dealt with legislative affairs. But countless stories would we hear, woman after woman. There was um, Susanna Huff was our very first national spokeswoman 
I had a very wonderful working relationship with her and, and friend. She's just an amazing woman, but she was a chiropractor. She wasn't out doing NRA stuff or any second amendment, anything. She was just a chiropractor having lunch with her parents. Now the NRA is turning out to be uh, the most disappointing. Oh God. Uh, yeah, they're, they're horrible. They're, they were horrible to us. I'll tell you. You would think an organization like that would see a group of women who are advocating for the Second Amendment, who we were there when the Million Mommers marched. It was the Second Amendment sisters who did the counter protest. It was Susanna Huff with us speaking out against that and literally saying these women are not going to represent all American women. And our president, um, who's an amazing woman, she was a nurse. Mm -hmm. I, as you know, was I, I started out as a nursing assistant, but I ended up in EMS and EMT. I mean, a lot of us in the medical community believe in the right to preservation of life. Look, at, that's our job. We are there to save lives. Why, of course, would we not believe in saving our own lives and those of others around us? You know, it shouldn't be that um, someone should be forced to so-called retreat. You no. seriously want me to tell somebody to turn their back in a would-be raper or robber and try to run away? Oh, hell no. We had a fight to change that law here in the state of New Hampshire, and we've changed it, and it's changed in a number of states. But people speak ill of stand your ground, but they don't think of it in that way. They think of you. They think of the white man Typical Republican, 2A dude, gun-toting, gonna-go-hunting dude. They don't think of a group of women from all walks of life who get together and they enjoy the, the, the sport of shooting or learning about self-defense and other things. I had an amazing amount of women who were trained and they spent their, their days training women how to shoot, teaching young ladies how to shoot, teaching them how to not be afraid of a firearm. Because unfortunately, what most of the time happens is some doofus out there puts a gun in some woman's hand that's like a cannon, put a three fifty seven in their hand and go, here, shoot this. <laughs> well, they shoot it. They're not prepared for the kick or anything. It hurts like a mother. They throw it back at them and go, fuck you. And they walk away. And that is how, unfortunately, many women got turned off from shooting sports or even learning to defend ourselves. See, that's so. I I don't mean to interrupt you, Jenny. That's no, no, no. I can go on forever. <laughs> I mean, that's something important that you just mentioned there too. Is you know, I'm. I mean, uh, for one, just hand somebody a firearm and not tell them that there's a recoil and all that. And especially, you got people like my wife who had a stroke and her hands aren't what they used to be, so she cannot handle recoil at all. And I had to get I had to get her a twenty two, which has yep. no recoil. You know what's another good one? The Beretta Cheetah. Yeah. Because you don't have to rack it. Because it has that cheetah barrel that you can flip up. And now you got one in the pipe and you're great. You no need to rack it. It's a great firearm, I believe, for, for people who do have some difficulties. Like, I couldn't rack a firearm to save my life right now. But, I, you know, that's a, a, a different conversation 
But I just love that firearm because it gives you that ability. It's just the perfect self-defense or home defense to keep, you know, near you. I think, I think. Outside of a shotgun, of course. Shotgun's my favorite mm -hmm. for home. Well, you can't miss with a shotgun. That's why. You know. Well, no, I always thought that my idea was that when you hear, ch -ch -ch, if you're still standing there, like you deserve whatever happens. That's the warning right there. There's no warning sharp bullets. The sound of your ch -ch -ch. Okay, I, that means go away. I got a, right? I got a, go away. I got a story no. for you. I got a story <laughs> for you. So I've I've told this story a, I think a couple of times here on the show, but I'll tell it again. Was was back in uh, 1999. I was living in and working in a small town up in northern Nevada, right on the Idaho border, called Jackpot, Nevada. And uh, word gets around really, really fast there because it's such a tiny community like Horseshoe Bend, Idaho. And uh, there's this one dude who came into town, and I didn't like him at all, and I was kind of running my mouth a bit loosely, and uh, he got word of it and came to visit me at work saying, you know, you better you better keep your mouth shut because I know where you live, blah, blah, blah. And oh, I, boy. And I said, you know what? He, he was at my house, and he seen my arsenal already, and I said, you already know what's in my house, so if uh, you really want to do something stupid, go ahead and do what you say you're going to do. And one night, 2 o'clock in the morning, actually, here he comes, pounding at my door, and he's kicking at my door or whatever. You know, and I, I, don't, say a, I don't say a damn thing. I just grab that 12-gauge, that unloaded, unloaded, mind you, because... Uh, this this was my plan because I never shot anybody and I hope I never have to. But if, you know, if that right. time if that time comes, you know. But uh, so ah. I I grab I grab that shotgun and uh, I cocked the pump action. Made, made, stood right by the door and cocked the pump action so he could hear that uh, that ch -ch, you know. And it's an it's in a very intimidating sound, as right. you know. It's a, it's a warning. So you know. And he did. He went away. Right. He he ran once he heard that. However, my plan B was if he, I was going to go ahead and let him kick down the door, and then he was going to get that gun stock in his face. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, yeah, he. We had a young lady who became our Tennessee coordinator, and she had a stalker issue. This Jew that just kept, mm -hmm. and she had a boyfriend. You know, she goes out with her boyfriend one night just to, you know, have a good time or what have you. And this guy walks right in to the club, pulls out a gun, shoots him dead on. And she was legislated out of her right to self-defense because the establishment sold alcohol. Firearms weren't allowed inside by state regulation. So, yeah, she advocated for and changed the laws in the state of Tennessee from that, but it cost her the love of her life. And she believed that, that she might have had a chance to save him. Because there, there yeah. was a something about the situation. I don't remember exactly what it was. But it was just uh, the pain in her. She, is, she wrote an amazing book. It's a really good book. I'll have to find the name of it for you. But actually, another one, too, that's good to read is Susanna Huff's book, From Lubies to the Legislature. It's excellent. Yes. Absolutely excellent. She talks about how she be ended up becoming an advocate from what happened with her parents to ending up becoming a legislator herself, which is something you said her and I share in common. Although I'm thankful I didn't lose anyone to 
violence, I did serve in the legislature for a couple of terms and managed to get some good two-way laws on the books. Now, I want, I want to ask you going from here, you know, we, we look at uh, the current administration that we have, and obviously uh, Joe Biden, I remember uh, back when he was uh, Obama's running mate, was, uh, was one who was all about uh, gun control. He spoke on the Brady Bill, and he spoke on some other things too. I, I remember that very clearly. You know, and then you have you have him, uh, you know, at that factory um, where he got in that, uh, or what, I don't know if it was factory or what, but he got in that blue collar worker's faces, told him how he how he was full of shit, you know. And then there's those videos, or it was like you if well, I, we know that Biden's not a friend to the right of self defense, and that's really sad. I yes. wish he was, but he's not. Um, the bottom line is, no gun owner in the world worth their salt or cares enough that would want to see somebody who is uh, having mental health issues or something have a firearm. Absolutely not. But show me the law that I need to change to, to change to stop that, that murder or that person that walked into a synagogue and just waped out a bunch of people or the guy that walked into a, a black church down South and wiped uh, out the entire, you know, on the parishioners, you know, Show me what law was derelict in order for that person to find the firearm. And the odds are you got nothing to show me because what you're going to tell me is illicit activity happened in the first place. That they bought it out of the back of a trunk. That they, you know, they got it through some illicit trade under the, you know, they didn't walk into a gun store, fill out the form, get the background check and go get the gun. It didn't work that way for them. That's not how it happened. Nine out of ten times. If in very rare cases, has somebody legally purchased a firearm that was then used in a mass situation. But oftentimes, when you look into those stories, there were many opportunities or signs where things could have happened to stop it. That doesn't mean changing the law would have worked. I, I agree. It I you agree. Know, so we have to have laws that make sense. You know, you don't, and you don't put the law on. Why are we, we don't, I don't need a law on the inanimate object. I, I need a law on illicit activity, on criminal acts, on people who, who hurt other people because they don't want to go out and get things like we do. They want to steal from somebody else or take from somebody else, take somebody's liberty, their freedom, assault a woman, take, you know, take a child. These are the, the friggin' depraved people that we're talking about who commit these crimes and they don't get their firearm from Jake's gun and, and hobby or gun and ammo down the street. It doesn't work that way. And let's face it, when you do this, anywhere in this country, you buy a firearm, you got to have a background check. Period. <laughs> they, they like to say New Hampshire has a gun show loophole. There's no loop show. Go to a New Hampshire gun show, walk up to any one of those dealers to buy a firearm, and you know what? They're going to hand you that form and say, and hand you that pen and go, here you go. And then they're going to call the gun line, and they're going to wait. And then we're going to wait forever in a day, like depending on how bad the day is, it could be hours. It might even be a while, um, like a day or <laughs> it could be really bad on a hot gun show, boy. But you're going to have to wait for that call to come back and approve that sale before that gun owner is going to, that sales guy is going to sell it to you. No fucking, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. No, I can do that here. Yes, no, you can. Yeah. No, um Nobody at the gun shows that I've I've gone to a zillion gun shows all over New Hampshire and in other places. But speaking from my own state, 
Nobody goes to a gun show, buys a gun without filling out the form, without going through the gun line background check. If you're a criminal intent on murder, if you're somebody who's looking to rob a place, you're not going to buy your gun at the gun show. You're buying your gun out of the back of a truck somewhere or you steal it from somebody's house. You know, it's that way. So let's let's talk about reality, not fear. Well, what we have is fear mongering that rules the day and we end up with stupid laws that all we do is legislate people out of their right to self-defense and actually make the criminal even safer because there's less ability to defend yourself. Well, then criminals a little safer. I bet you money we have less home break-ins in New Hampshire than they do in Chicago. There's a good reason for that. Yeah. A lot of people in New Hampshire on both sides of the aisle are firearms owners. Now... Let's let's take into account something else too, Jenny. Is mm-hmm. is uh, laws that they've passed in South Africa? So I mean, number one, and and then you look at uh, Switzerland, where pretty much everybody is armed in Switzerland, and look at the crime rate in Switzerland. Armed, yeah. you're required. Yeah. Now, now you're required. You are required to protect yourself. Now, but then you go to like the Netherlands, and the gun laws are so insane. You can't use it for self-defense. You can only use it for a targeting sport. It's absolutely illegal. In fact, this is how bad it is. Somewhere along the time every year, you're going to get a knock on your door, and it's going to be the cops. And you're going to let them in, and they're going to look. Make sure that your firearm is locked up in a safe, your ammunition is locked up in a safe, and it's not the same safe. Two different safes. They find your firearm out. They're going to take it. They're going to take everything, and they're going to take your license, and you're done. You're going to have to go through all kinds of shit to try and get it back. That's how bad it is there. So yes, I'm not familiar with South African law changes. Uh, oh, I'll, I'm, I'm going to get to that. So, I mean, uh, back up, like I said before, I'm not pro-apartheid. I never will be, but... Uh, you know, I mean, it, there something just tells it just tells me something when you have black people who are law-abiding citizens in South Africa that are secretly saying, "I want apartheid back because I felt so much safer back then." You know, so that I mean, that tells me something right there about their. I don't know about that one, but yeah, let's the, stick to the gun issue. You, you know, <laughs> but. Um, they start. They started back back then. I mean, their laws were just as lax as ours, and there, you know, uh, cities like Cape Town and Johannesburg were were places you could leave your door unlocked. Um, now, uh, let's say, uh, shortly after Mandela's presidency, there was um, they passed one law to where uh, gun owners had to uh, had to register. With the with the police and everything, register what they had and all that. Next thing you know, criminals are going to people's houses that have guns. They're not looking for jewelry. They're not looking for money. They're not looking for electronics, goods, and all that. They're going straight for the guns. So somebody was leaking information to them. And then, uh, of course, my my friend Brindy Wells. She had postpartum depression and was put on Xanax for about two weeks. And uh, 17 years later after that, they said, well, we got to do a psychiatric evaluation on you in order for you to have a firearm. They see that uh, she's 
on that, uh, on, she, she was on Xanax for a very short period of time. And they said, well, this disqualifies you from being a firearms owner. So they, they take her pistol and she's, of course, without any compensation, they just take it from her. And then uh, like two months later, it was used by somebody in a crime after the police had confiscated it. And they tried to bust her for the crime after they had taken it from her. Jeez, that's insane. I'm legislated out of my Second Amendment rights because after my second cancer, I became a cannabis patient, which was something that I'll tell you, as an EMT in 20 years of medicine, I never in a million years thought that would be me. In fact, I co-sponsored the bill for medicinal cannabis three times. Failed all three. It took them a long, it took them a long time after I left even to get it through. But here I am, the recipient of that. Because of our federal regulations, I can't legally own a firearm anymore. I am legislated out of my Second Amendment right, or I have to sacrifice my health. And I actually have some really rare stuff wrong with me. That cannabis is actually an integral part of my treatment. And I know some people might think that's crazy, but I could I could go on and on about that on see, a different see. a different day. But because of that choice, I had to remove my firearms. So what's to say now that you're not going to be put on a list and uh, some some thug likes can look at that and go, oh, this is a helpless woman. This is one that we can rape. This is one we can rob. Well, you, you know, I do it? have a, well, the gun's not the only way to defend yourself. I'll say that. Um, I'm very much known for my knife collection. And legalizing all knives in New Hampshire that actually started a national wave of knife legalization. That's a fun story to get into, too. Um, so I don't have a bad, I don't have a reputation for being all that easy. And I certainly have my tools placed wherever I need them throughout the home. Good. And various styles. Good. However, more importantly, I, I choose to live in a place that's safer for me. And um, I have a lot of people around me that there's enough traffic that my place really wouldn't be very tasty for a, a break-in. It's going to be difficult to get in, and this odds are there's going to be a lot more than just me home. So <laughs> I, um, I, that's all intentional to, intentionally to help me be safer because I do have to make other choices to help protect myself or I risk being a felon and quite literally – any jail sentence whatsoever for me could put me at risk to die. My treatments are intense and they're regulated. And if I miss treatment in any way, shape or form, it's, it's not going to be pretty for me. So it's literally that that's how hard my choice was to make. It wasn't something that I enjoyed in any way, shape or form. And it's something I actively still advocate against. It, I don't think it's right at all. My son would be the first to tell you. Um, and of course, that's where my firearms went. <laughs> but um, it 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 was sad to have to give up my right to. He 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 was horrible horrified by it. He was horrified that I wouldn't be able to have a firearm in the house anymore. But when you're having to make those kind of choices, I these have they've been significant life choices I've had to make in order to trade off the ability to stay alive. I traded off a car for treatments. Yeah. So, you know, it's 
it's a choice that other people like can sit in judgment in some ways. But if your life hasn't been on the line in that way, and if you've never stepped into my shoes, it's not an easy decision, but it was a necessary one. I chose to get as much time in this world over being able to keep my firearms. Well, we are almost running out of time, but there was one more thing I wanted to ask you, Jenny, is um, we were going... Uh, you know, we were talking about uh, how criminals, I mean, whether you can implement whatever gun control laws you want, that's not going to stop the criminals from gaining access to a weapon. You know, no. so, so you, I mean, you have people that are saying, well, if we had these laws put in place, there wouldn't be Sandy Hook, oh, there, there wouldn't be Colum Columbine. You know, what do you got to say to people like that who... God, I wish. I wish it was so simple that I could legislate that away. I wish I could legislate away rape and murder and assault and horrible things, but I can't. Unfortunately, it's harder than that. It's going to take until we as mankind breed out hate. Because the bottom line of it all is it's always hate. It's always somebody who's bent on destroying something else that wants to take from somebody else their livelihood, their freedom, their love. What their life, whatever it is, it's based in that. And God, we're going to have to breathe that out of each other. But it's going to be taking a look at each other without the skin, without religious ideologies, without any of that, and seeing each other as human beings, which is something that, unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to live long enough to see. But I have hope that maybe mankind can get there someday. Well, there's, there's one other aspect to look at too and it i mean it go it, it's not just racism or hate of religion or anything like that or you know you live in a gang neighborhood and it depends on what side of the street you live on and all that uh, let me tell you tell you this when i i moved to uh, reno nevada almost 20 years ago i did not have a computer at home so i had to go to the local library to check my email and things like that and every time I went to, to the library in my area, I always passed by this school. And one day I'm on my way, and I, I see in the playground, there are four kids just wailing on this one, one little dude. And I'm, I'm wondering, where's the chaperone? Where's the teacher? Where is somebody to stop this? So I stopped right there. And I approached the uh, school fence, and uh, you know, I, I I said something to all those other kids, and they they ran off. And I asked the little boy, who, of course, had a bloody nose and all that. And I I asked for his name, and his teacher's name. And I went to I went to the principal's office, and I I said I said I I told them what I had witnessed. I gave them the child's name. I gave them the child's teacher's name. And I said, this is part of the reason why we have things like Columbine shootings, because yep. these issues are not being addressed. I'll never forget when my son was in elementary school, he had become friends with a young man who was an immigrant. His name was Helsom. And the, there was a bully who bullied my kid and, and my, you know, who tried to bully other people and stuff. And he kept picking on Helsom and calling him dirty, telling him to go home and that kind of stuff. 
So my kid went to the principal and was telling him what's going on and how upsetting it was. And the principal looked at him and was like, yeah, well, if it's a problem, Helson will have to come tell me about it. He wouldn't even address it. You know, it, it went on later on. Uh, it was only a few days later that they were out on the playground and that same bully came up behind my son and knocked him to the ground. And my son had done had it and got up and cold cocked him and made his nose bleed. And he thought he was going to be in all kinds of trouble. And the irony of this is that that same principal who could have prevented this stuff by taking it seriously, you know, and listening to my son, then comes out and goes, I'm tired of hearing about you to the bully who's got the bloody nose and takes him inside and didn't say two words to my kid, which I was grateful for because I believed as well that it was absolutely a justified action. He was tired of this kid knocking him to the ground. You know, and had finally had enough to say, you know, I'm done with you. But if the principal had just done something in the first place, like, why didn't you listen to my kid? Were you prejudiced yourself against this young man who came over from? I don't remember where he was from, but it it doesn't matter. He was a young man going to elementary school. They were in like, I want to say it was fourth or fifth grade when this happened. Yeah. You know, and here you teach your kid, right, to do the right thing. You, I, we teach our children to do the right thing. But then the world around them that we trust our children to that are supposed to help allude to them the rules and, and good nature things of dealing with society, just ignore them when they try and come forward, much like you were ignored. But here in an instance with a child, that's what we're dealing with. That's what I mean. We're dealing with this nastiness that still exists in our society. And we're, America's gun laws are based on prejudice. They're based out of Germany. They were initially written by the Nazis for Jews. I could, Aaron Zellman wrote a great book about it and included the, the, the laws themselves that you can compare. And when you can compare the American Gun Act to those Nazi laws, you see the similarities. Our laws were based in prejudice. Our laws were based in slavery. Our laws were based in making sure that people of color didn't have firearms. The people who used to rule those things were KKK members. We can admit to our past, but we, when we admit that, then we need to know that we need to change our we need to change our judiciary system to not pe penalize the people of color in our country, to treat everybody equal under the law, but not try to regulate gun law based out of a bigotry. Based out of all of that, it's Jim Crow law. Why in the world should we propagate that? Yes, exactly. I mean, I don't know. I hear different stories how the NRA was back then, and some, uh, especially like uh, what's his name? Um, uh, got the, uh, can't remember his name, but the, I wrote, the film. Uh, the film I signed director. on to an amicus. I signed on to a few amicus briefs with the Supreme Court, but I also signed on against a lot of stuff coming out of the NRA. I think I'm still considered a life member, though I shamefully have that. Um, when we were working hard in the Second Amendment, sisters, and we had thousands and, of yeah. women around the country, and we were growing in droves and bringing women into the firearm community and teaching them to value their lives, we went to the NRA for support. They told us that we should give them money. They wouldn't help us. They wouldn't even help us spread our... Mm -hmm. our our message they wouldn't help anything in fact they went so far as to steal our tagline our tagline was second amendment is a basic 
human right. And yes. that was trademarked to the Second Amendment sisters up until the part that we dissolved a number of years ago. Um, when our founder passed away, it was it was time to it was just time for us. There's a lot more to that, but they wouldn't support us. They wouldn't support our efforts. When I went for knife freedom here in the state of New Hampshire, this guy, John Hornwater or Hornwater, something like that, was the NRA representative, and he testified against my bill. When I put knife preemption into the law of the state of New Hampshire, negating all of these little communities that were making pocket knives illegal, he told, he and his ill went to the legislature and the Senate and told them that I was watering down gun preemption <laughs> by adding the word knives and putting knife preemption on the law. That's like telling me that I asked you for a rum and coke and I asked you for some more rum and you think I'm watering it down or something. I don't know. It's insane. But yes. that, that's the insanity that I had to deal with with them and that many people, many of the women, who, oh my God, there were so many women who have done so much for the Second Amendment community, and they could have done even more had the Second Amendment uh, supposed juggernaut of the NRA, who is now defunct completely, actually. That's right. They're completely defunct. I'm not considered anything. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hate to say you know? it. I hate to say it. We are definitely uh, out of time for sure. Got <laughs> to hit the uh, music set coming up here, but... Uh, before we do so, I know you got a website and an article out there. Why don't you go ahead and plug that? Well, uh, you can find out more information about me at jencoffee.com, J-E-N-N-C-O-F-F-E-Y.com. I write for The Mighty, which is a wonderful publication. You can find me there. There's links on my website. And, of course, my partner and I are proud of IPM Nation, ipmnation.com, our international radio and TV station that runs 24-7. There's always good contact. In fact, you should check out Blade TV. You might just find that one enjoyable. And where, J where Crazy Joe will never go. <laughs> oh, God, no. I had, I had oh. to say it. I had to say it because... I mean, God, if there's, of ex if I, I just like kicking him around we a little bit. We can be thankful bit. of one thing. Apparently, he never succeeded in breeding. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But well, we are definitely out of time. I want to thank you very much, It's been Jenny. fun. Yes. It's been fun. You take care, hon. You too. And ladies and gentlemen, there you have the discussion with Jenny Coffey. And I must say it was a great conversation, too. And uh, definitely uh, looking forward to having her back on the show sometime. All right, it's time to go to the next music set. Coming up, we have Bad Tempered Joe. Going to be followed by Diamante, Metal Mafia, Christina Taylor, and Mike LaPon's Silent Assassins. Be right back after this. How dare you and who in the hell fuck do you think you are? You're listening to Outlaw Radio, where we're proper gentlemen, because we always ask... Do you mind if I fart? You really know how to waste a Cialis, don't you? You're abusing my fan. <laughs> Oh boy, 
Let's face it, you're blind. It's probably a preconceived notion that you'll be stuck to your chair and you won't be able to go out this weekend. You wish you could go out and party with those silent people, but you just don't fit in. But don't worry, we feel your pain. That's why JWorks has developed Virtual Beer Pong. That's right, the game that's the rage at all your local keggers can now be played in front of your computer. And you don't even need any beer to play, because you probably can't get a ride to the store anyway. Just use your arrow keys to guide the ball towards the cups and press the space bar to launch the ball. It's just like you were at a real party. And as the night goes on, your fun will grow exponentially. Order Virtual Beer Pong from JWorks today. Virtual one-night stand not included. Here I am, 
controlling your fate. I'm taking it life. You know this and that it ain't looking so brave. So it's out with your lights. Now run. Running in dark in is your only option. I'm out my fun.
to a slower pace Feel the wind in your hair and the golf coast means We're getting tan, his only plan The only work you gotta do is on the drink in your hand It's been a while since you and I spent time outside these county lines And yeah, I know someplace that you came You don't need a bongo
community organizers and campus radicals in Idaho are still up to their dirty tricks teaching Idaho kids from cradle to college that white people are inherently racist. Now these left-wing nuts are taking the whole race thing to a whole new level with critical race theory. According to critical race theory, teaching children math, arithmetic is racist. Shakespeare, Shakespeare, racist. Can you say ridiculous? Malcolm X warned against critical race theory. It's very harmful. It's wrong. And the leftist nuts teaching this stuff to our children know it. Join Idaho Freedom Action to put an end to this leftist takeover of education in Idaho. Join the fight against the teaching of critical race theory to Idaho's youngsters. Visit IdahoFreedomAction.org today. IdahoFreedomAction.org X-Point at night, real country dark. You look up at the sky and see everything you've been missing living in the city. You had no idea there were so many stars. No city lights, no traffic noise. You can actually hear your thoughts because you can actually think without distraction. When morning comes, the light breaks over a surreal nine square miles of unobstructed vista. And you think to yourself, this is a good place. It's quiet, it's safe, and it's beautiful. 600 steel-reinforced concrete bunkers sit on X-Point. They're 80 feet long, 26 feet wide, and have 12 and a half foot high ceilings. The price is $45,000, which is very cheap for what you get and where you get it. In times of natural or national emergency, this is the place you want to be. It's a community, not a commune, and the people there are like-minded. Send an email to brendy at arcmidnight.com and let us connect you with X-Point. X marks your spot. That's the point. Chaz Mitchell Custom Hats makes and sells custom hats with a Western influence. These hats are not cheesy, one-size-fits-all, except they're not cowboy hat knockoffs. Chaz Mitchell will custom design and build a genuine hat just for you, the way you want it. Chaz will actually measure your head, talk with you about the hat you desire, make it, and deliver it to you. You'll make a statement every time you put on your hat. Originally from Jigs, Nevada, Chaz Mitchell grew up cowboy and alongside his father, Waddy Mitchell. 
They built their first hats together at a workshop in Elko, Nevada. Chaz recalls his father once telling him, make a hat he would be proud to wear. After years of practice and studying hats and their owners, Chaz knows what makes a good hat maker. It's understanding that a hat doesn't only fit the circumference of the head, but also the personality of the owner. Get in touch with Chaz today, and he'll build you a hat you will be proud to wear. Visit Chaz Hats. That's C-H-A-Z-H-A-T-Z dot com. Ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to announce that Outlaw Radio officially has affiliation with We The People Holsters. If you own a handgun, then you know you need the perfect holster to go with it. We The People Holsters are made right here in the USA by gun nerds who are not afraid to support our Second Amendment. Whether you want Kydex or leather, We The People Holsters has just what you need. We The People Holsters is the preferred option of professionals throughout the law enforcement industry, as well as those serving in the branches of the armed forces. Simply go to www.outlawradioabs.com, go to the store section, and click on the We The People Holsters banner to select the holster that's perfect for you. Don't wait. Get your holster from We The People Holsters today. Across New Hampshire, we're paying more for almost everything. Turn on the news and you can hear why. All this government spending is fueling a surge in inflation. Americans are seeing higher prices on everything from gas to groceries. You've got the middle class being absolutely torched. Even President Biden admits it's out of control. Do you ever think you've been paying this much for a gallon of gas? But now, Washington liberals are demanding trillions more in wasteful spending. Listen. Democrats still divided whether to spend another $1.75 trillion. This is an inflation acceleration bill. Senator Maggie Hassan has already voted for $3.1 trillion in spending just this year. Now you're paying higher prices on almost everything you buy. Tell Senator Maggie Hassan inflation is killing us. Stop the reckless spending. Call her at 202-224-3324 and tell her to oppose the House Reconciliation Bill. Paid for by One Nation. www.onenationamerica.org. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outlaw Radio, brought to you by Coldcock Whiskey. Raise your glass, take a shot. You must be 21 years of age or older to drink. Hunter Athletic, Gear Up, Let's Train, and Neutronics IGF-1, Making Men Men Again. The songs you just heard, you just heard Mike LaPon's Silent Assassins with Ides of March. Before that, Christina Taylor with Destination. Before that, Metal Mafia with Sale. Before that, Diamante with Coming In Hot. And starting off the whole set, Bad Temper Joe, which is, that's just the perfect name for a blues artist, with Life's a Gamble. All right, so at this time, after uh, some things that I've reviewed, it is time for the Steve Solution with the icon, Stephen James. The best advice I can give you, if you've got a good job, stay in it. If you are, in fact, in a position where you have a decent job, don't fuck that up. And if you are not in a great job, keep looking 
And when one comes available that you are qualified for or even close to qualified for, go apply, interview, do whatever you can to get into a better position. This is The Steve Solution with Stephen James on Outlaw Radio. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? By the way, make sure you guys check out a little bit more of Christina Taylor. She is just phenomenal. I love her. Yes. Yes, indeed. Just had to throw that out there. Okay, so today, what I would like to talk about on the Steve Solution, in honor of our co-founder, who is probably the biggest basketball fan I know next to Billy, I want to talk about LeBron James and Michael Jordan and the fact that there was some moron out there that actually says LeBron James is more of a GOAT than Jordan will ever be. Okay, so the one meme that I saw, Stephen, was uh, they counted the number of championships, number of NBA championships, uh, NCAA championships, high school championships, Olympic gold medals and all that, and LeBron James comes out to 10, while Michael Jordan has nine altogether. And they're the... And I'm I'm thinking those numbers don't mean shit. I mean, LeBron James will barely twist his ankle and he'll start crying like a little bitch. Or uh, jump teams to follow championships. I watched, okay, 1997 NBA Finals. I got Chicago versus Utah. I watched Michael Jordan with food poisoning, not a cold, not the flu, food poisoning. He played with food poisoning and still scored 38 points. Now, come on. When you have food poisoning, you don't want to do a damn thing. I mean, you you don't want to keep a short path from my bed to the toilet. That's what happens. Yeah. Exactly. You don't want anybody touching you. You don't want to be bothered in the least bit. You feel like complete shit. You know, Michael Jordan had to leave the court a couple of times during that game to go puke, and he came back and, and still came back to play. Now, well, they, said, they said puke anyway. <laughs> yeah. It was food poisoning. It was probably coming out of both ends. I mean... That that right there told. That's when I gained the the most ultimate respect for Michael Jordan. Because honestly, uh, back in the '90s, I was sick and tired of him winning all the time, and I was always pulling for the underdog and all that. You know, I mean, I I was rooting for him the first championship um, against the Lakers because you know Magic Johnson and, and hey hey hey, you know what they they had all already won. I wanted to see Michael Jordan Boo. actually have one. Hey, I'm an L.A. boy. Sorry, the Lakers are my guys. So, you know, but then uh, the following year when it was against the Portland Trail Blazers, which was my team, that's when it's like, oh, I got to watch, you know, I want to see Portland win, but that obviously did not happen, you know. And not only that, Michael Jordan wanted, uh, you know, he said he even said to his teammates, we got to do something different than, Magic or Larry, they, they've won back-to-back championships, but they have not won three in a row. And so Michael Jordan got ahead of them 
not once but twice in doing that. And, and you're talking about another two of a set of the two greatest of all times, Magic Johnson, a man just synonymous with basketball, and Larry Bird, who, dear God, was there ever a better three-point shooter? Not only that, too, but you take Magic and Larry and the way those two created the game. They, they turned passing the ball into some kind of art. Both they of turned them. It, they, they turned it into an L.A.-Boston rivalry. Well, no, I mean, I'm just talking about it didn't, doesn't matter who you're watching them play. Watch, just watch Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. doesn't matter who they're playing. And watch how they pass the ball to their teammates. When they couldn't see their teammates, they just knew they were there. You right, know, but if you take your typical basketball fan that doesn't give two shits about the Lakers, that doesn't give two shits about the Celtics, and that became literally in the late, mid to late 80s, the biggest rivalry in basketball. And it was because of those two men and, just watching it. And they're, and they're friends, which was great. And then, of course, you know, here comes along uh, Michael Air Jordan. Now, everybody knew from the get-go that uh, he was just so talented in the way he could dunk. I mean, it was pretty much... He coined the phrase airtime. You know, he, he was the first one. I know I know that, uh, you know, Dr. J could jump from the free throw line and dunk, but, uh, you know, uh, Michael Jordan was the first one I've seen do that. Regularly and from the top of the fucking key, just when that tongue came out, you knew shit was going down. You, you know, period. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they actually called that his parachute. I'd believe it. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, LeBron James. Now, number one, I, he he's woke, which I, he's, 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 what a Chinese prostitute truly looks like, by the way. Uh, and he's woke. Wait, at, well, hold on, you got to explain that one to me. Uh, but basically, you know, he's he's bought and paid for and owned by China. Oh, okay. You know, uh, that's the political side. Plus, he's all about this Black Lives Matter bullshit and all that. You know, and and then like I say, he'll barely he'll barely twist his ankle, and he and and uh, and he's done. He's going to cry like a bitch. Whereas Michael Jordan, on the other hand, had to deal with assholes. Like Bill Lambeer, who played dirty. I mean, Bill Lambeer, let me tell you something about him. I mean, he, he was somebody I fucking hated. And a lot of people, I mean, I, I did not really have a problem with the Detroit Pistons. It's just that Bill Lambeer was, he was out there to hurt people. He was, yeah, he was competitive. Everybody gets competitive. But Bill Lambeer was, was just overall dirty. Michael Jordan had to deal with assholes. Like him, I mean, let's see, let's face it, you know, I mean, how many NBA brawls have you seen caused by Bill Lambeer? Uh, too many to count, but at the same time, I will say this for the man. He was the last coach of any successful fucking sports franchise out of the area of fucking Detroit. So, I'll, you know, I'll give the guy a little bit of leeway that way. 
Uh, well, he wasn't really a coach as far as uh, I know. He's a coach in the WNBA. I know that much, but I don't know as as far as uh, coaching any NBA teams and all that. You know, and um, oh, but at the same time, again, what was the last? What was the last time Detroit was relevant in sports other than for Detroit fans? Uh, back in the late eighties, when they when they when the Pistons. Yeah, they when the Pistons won back to back championships, then uh, one against LA and one against Portland, which again another team that beat Portland, and you'll you can grumble about LA on that one, but wow. well, I mean, my second favorite team in the NBA besides the Lakers is Portland. I am a you know, or not Portland, I'm sorry, Utah. I love Utah. Yeah, yeah, and most of that connection comes with you know Carl Malone. I see Carl Carl Malone. There's another, uh, you know, he's a good player. He's kind of dirty too. The way uh, he go for once he came down from a rebound, here came the elbows. Just ask Isaiah Thomas about that. That's not dirty. That's you better walk through your asses that when I'm coming down from the from the fucking goal. <laughs> but you That's know, not dirty playing. You gotta be. That's hang on. Watch where you wash your location. Period. But Carl Malone also happened to be, you know, one of the, by all accounts, nicest guys in the NBA, and a good man in business. I mean, even though he left Salt Lake, he never left Salt Lake when he went to the Lakers. He still maintained his home in Salt Lake. He has businesses in Salt Lake. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. You just don't want to be underneath him without your head protected or your arm up when he's coming down from the hoop. But the man has sharp elbows. But you take Bill Lambeer, one of the things he would do is if you go go for a jump shot, is he would stick his foot between your feet with the intention that uh, you're going to trip there and, and twist your ankle. Like I said, he, he was just an overall dirty player, and, and uh, Larry Bird will tell you about that. You know what Ty Cobb was too, though, and Ty Cobb has the greatest record in baseball history. <laughs> so there's something to be said for playing a little dirty. If you don't know who you're playing against, then you need to ball up on your game. But that was a that was an era of the NBA that uh, number one. Uh, you remember when you talked to Jake the Snake Roberts and he said uh, today's era just doesn't have the magic within the air for wrestling very much. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel the same way about, uh, about the NBA, especially with, I can't, I can't think of anybody else uh, who who's in the NBA. I, that's how I have not been keeping up with it. Um, oh, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, you want to talk to me about like, you know, wrestling, I will give you, you know, mid nineties, late 80s all day long. You want to talk to me about basketball? 88, say, through 95 is like my heyday because that's when you could actually watch and care about a player. Whether you like that player or not. I mean, yeah, granted, yes, I'm a Lakers fan, so wonderful. I'm still a Lakers fan. Yeah, but I mean that's the that was the era. The, the you know that's when the magic was in the air in the NBA, and and the you know the competition was a lot stiffer, you know. And uh, now, of course, LeBron James is uh, 
you know, he, he's, yeah, he's a little bitch. He's got, I mean, he's got talent. He is a good basketball player. I'll give him that. But as a person, he's a complete total dickhead. Um, you know, he's having fans removed because he feels offended by something. Uh, and that kills me as a Lakers fan, too, because, yeah, I like rings. Sure, of course I do. Who doesn't? You know, it, any team out there, no matter what your city is, if you get the opportunity to have LeBron James on your team, obviously you take it. We've seen that happen. But at the same time, you got to be a little embarrassed about having this piece of shit on your team. And quite frankly, as a Lakers fan, I'm embarrassed to have the fucking Braun James anywhere near my guys. We used to win purely on talent. Now we win because he, you know, he's not Kobe Bryant. He doesn't fucking show up and, you know, he's not the Black Mamba. He just bitches and moans his way through bullshit. So... You know, comparing, though, the, the main subject, though, Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. I mean, Michael Jordan, even though he could be a dickhead to his teammates and he wasn't uh, very fan-friendly and all that, uh, but he, the reason why he was such a dickhead to his teammates is because he put 100% of himself out there. I mean, obviously, somebody who plays with food poisoning, you know they're they're putting out 100%, and he expects the same thing from his teammates. So the, Exactly. All he wanted was, you put in what I put in, we're going to be good. Yep, exactly. That's why he never had a problem, ironically, with Dennis Rodman, of all people. Because when Rodman showed up at the game, he showed up to play. Scottie Pippen was the same way. He had no problem with those guys. Yeah, he punched Steve Kerr in the face. Well, who <laughs> didn't want to punch Steve Kerr in the face? But uh, for, but all in all, you know, I mean, I don't see LeBron James being able to hang with people like Carl Malone, like Bill Lambeer, you know, that that tough era. Uh, he he couldn't do it. He just simply couldn't do. It. He'd he'd whine like a bitch if he's out there in the court. While Michael Jordan, on the other hand, uh, remember after the, uh, you know, they beat the Lakers. Uh, one thing that uh, Michael Jordan was like. Uh, I got to hit the weight room. I'm getting knocked around a little bit. And so, you know, that when he came back the next season, uh, you seen the boy packed on some muscle. He put on like, uh, I think it was like 60 pounds or something like that. He looked more trim, but he weighed more. Yeah. Well, he, well, he, it didn't take away from his speed. I remember that. But, uh, you know. Was, no, that, that dude is fast, period. And, and he wanted to. Yeah, he, he wanted to uh, up his game, so he found a way to do it every time. So it's like he's getting knocked around by guys like Carl Malone and Bill Ambeer and all that. He hits the weight room. Uh, but what, what's, what's LeBron James going to do if he gets knocked around by guys like Carl Malone or Bill Ambeer? He's going to go home and cry, obviously. He, he'll probably get them suspended or get them fined or whatever. Uh, he, or he'll go to another team where he doesn't have to face them as much. Yeah, yeah. The difference is Michael Jordan, dick or not, and I'm not saying the man was not a dick, but he was a leader. LeBron James is not a leader. He chases rings. He goes wherever he thinks he's going to get the next ring. And I respect the man. You know, he's got talent. He's 
great at his sport, but he's not a leader. He's he's there for the LeBron James show. He's not there for his team. I mean, even when Jordan was, you know, old as shit and bought into the Washington Wizards and had to play for him for a little bit, he still went out there and, you know, gave it his old man best that he could. It wasn't very good at that point because he was old as hell, but he still went out there and did it because he is a leader. Yeah. LeBron James is not. Not unless you're a leader of a fucking woke movement. Well, that's something that costs him nothing but, you know, some screen time. So, (laughs) you know, going, you know, backstage in the locker room going, you know, you dumb motherfuckers. I don't care if you like me or not. We need to get our asses out there and win this motherfucking game. I don't give a shit whether or not you like me. We're going out there and we're winning. You, I'm pointing to whoever. You know, you're dropping fucking rebounds that you should be collecting. That's you know, like the way he does it or not, that's a leader. LeBron James goes, okay, it's, you know, halftime. I'm going to go sit, put my beats on, and that's it. Well, and you know who else, I mean, uh, you know who else helped him mold him into the leader that he was, too, is Phil Jackson. Oh, absolutely. Phil Jackson, (laughs) aside from maybe Pat Riley, Two of my favorite, the two best coaches in the NBA, period, in history. Yes. Yes. But, uh, very different styles, though. <laughs> let's see. We are just about out of time. Just a couple, uh, things I wanted to ask you. Uh, just moving on a little bit, too, is, uh, because last week we were talking about Cobra Kai. O- overall, you will finally got to watch the rest of it. What would you think? Uh, I do think you're right. A little, you know, a little bit more soap opery, but I gotta say, I'm still in. I'm dying for, you know, season five. I'm ready to go. It can, you can drop it right now, and I'm a happy man. I mean, they're done filming now. They just got to edit, and I think they, we shouldn't have to wait a full year for the next, for the next one. Uh, Come on, give us at least like maybe eight months or so. That would be fair. Yeah, they're gonna make us wait. Trust me. But uh, yeah, it'll be Christmas this year before we see any more Cobra fucking Kai. Uh, which sucks. John Kreese is in jail, courtesy of of uh, T- Terry Silver framing him. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think you know, obviously awesome. it's no secret that Robbie's going to leave Cobra Kai, and I think Tori will too after she knows that uh, Terry Silver cannot be trusted. Maybe uh, we'll have to see where that comes. But I do want to bring up an interesting uh, quick tidbit about uh, Michael Jordan. What's that? As far as, as far as him being a complete dick. And this comes uh, directly from uh, uh, not Charles Robinson, um, Charles Barkley. They would go out to dinner or whatever, and Charles Barkley would see like a homeless person or whatever neat with the sign saying, you know, Anything will help or whatever. He throws him some money. That's, you know, that's that's Chuck Barkley. Michael Jordan's like, knows how to write a sign. He fell out of McDonald's application. He's a cheap bastard. 
And also, uh, there's some news, too, about uh, one of the co-founders of AOW Productions, uh, that being uh, Mr. Tommy Coolwater. Uh, he's seen some better days. There is, um, and we'll probably get into more of this a little bit next week. Hopefully, he will actually be joining us. Uh, but I, and I hesitate to ask the listeners to do anything. I don't want you guys, you know, to spend your hard-earned money. Uh, go to my Twitter page. That's you know AOW Stunner, and find the post. Uh, that has the GoFundMe. There's only one. And if you guys can't give money, I understand. Times are tight for all of us. If you guys all could, please at least share that post. Get it out there for everyone. This is uh, a friend and brother to both of us and helped us create AOW and he actually stands a very, very good chance of survival. But we got to get these meds paid for for this guy so that he can do that. So from the bottom of my heart, please, please, please find the post. Uh, you know, we all know him as Tommy Coolwater. If you can't find the Twitter post, go to GoFundMe and put in John Channel. You will find him. If you can't donate, and I suggest that if you can, you do, even if it's a couple of bucks, but please share it for everyone. Yes. Yes, most definitely. All right. We I we got to cut, cut it because uh, we are out of time. Well, what's on the agenda for next week is to be determined, but uh, we're going to end the show with Buckaroos out of Nebraska with their song, Apple Pie. Thank you very much for tuning in to Outlaw Radio, and we will be back next week. You guys, peace. Are you tired of modern pop music that sounds like a dog fucking a squeaky toy? Well, that's why you're listening to Outlaw Radio. We tell bad bed music to piss up a rope. We give you our opinions, and if a fight breaks out, so fucking what? This is Outlaw Radio.
T-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, caps, beanies, koozies, banners, and even masks. You can get them all custom made from Fresh Baked Tees. Prices are reasonable and negotiable. Simply go to freshbakedtees.com, submit your logo, and place your order today. Support Outlaw Radio and friends and buy some cool stuff in the store section of OutlawRadioABS.com. Get Outlaw Radio t-shirts and hats. In the CTM store, a service of Caravan to Midnight, find items to help make your life easier and better, including the new Eden Nutritional Support System. Check out We the People holsters, made in America by gun nerds who are not afraid to support and stand up for their Second Amendment rights. Click on the We the People holsters banner in the Outlaw Radio store. Get the best night sleep in the whole wide world and more with Mike Lindell's My Pillow, Pillows and other products. Click on the My Pillow banner in the Outlaw Radio store, use promo code OUTLAW and save up to 66%. Visit My Patriot Supply and purchase buckets of food with a 25-year shelf life. In the Cranked Up Coffee Shop, a service of Cranked Up Live, entertain your taste buds with coffee that even the aficionados love. Visit OutlawRadioABS.com and click on the store link. A service of Outlaw Radio and AOW Productions. You've heard the phrase, America's most loved brands. And what exactly did our loyalty to some of those most loved brands get us? I'll tell you what, money and lots of it. For organizations and their ideologies that directly conflict with American core values and the American way of life. Enter Etruzu.com, a place for patriots to buy and sell. You can open your own online store for as little as $25 per month and grow your business as big as you want. Buy from patriots and sell to patriots. Everything from ordinary household items to absolutely anything that's available from companies that do not have our country's best interests at heart. With Etruzu.com, you know who you're buying from and you know who you're selling to. Let's make your brand one of America's most loved. Get started at etruzu.com. E-T-R-U-Z-O-O.com. Etruzu, a place where patriots buy and sell. 
Mark your calendar and make plans now to experience Highway 30 Music Fest 2022, June 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and 25th at the Twin Falls Fairgrounds in Filer, Idaho. Take the whole family and enjoy good food and drink, country music, Americana music, rock, and red dirt. Artists performing include Colby Cooper, Lainey Wilson, Ellie Mae Mellencamp, Cliff Miller, Austin English, The Steel Woods, Shane Smith and the Saints, Sam Riggs, and more. Sponsors of Highway 30 Music Fest 2022 include Bud Light, Falls Brand Independent Meat Company, Snake River Pool and Spa, and 95.7 KEZJ, Southern Idaho's new country. Have a great time while helping organizations and families in need. Highway 30 Music Fest will take place rain or shine. That's Highway 30 Music Fest 2022, June 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and 25th at the Twin Falls Fairgrounds in Filer, Idaho. To order tickets and for more information, visit hwy30musicfest.com. Hi, it's the big voice guy. The one who intros and promos the show you're listening to right now. Hi, my name is Jim Hunt. I voice for a growing list of internet and terrestrial radio stations, podcasts, and businesses. I'd love to spread the word about yours, too, no matter if the message is serious or silly. Whether you want the delivery to be hard-hitting, voice of authority, or conversational, warm, and fuzzy. From fully produced station imaging and commercials to custom phone system messages on hold and IVR prompts, voiceovers for computer games to narrations for presentations, even post-production audio editing and audio cleanup services. Yeah, I do them too. I'm your guy. I do business as Jim Hunt voiceovers and audio services. My rates are reasonable and negotiable because I love internet radio too. Visit my website, jimhuntvo.com. I'm Jim Hunt, at your service. Put my voice and audio production skills to work for you. Let's do this. You have been listening to Outlaw Radio. Be sure to leave your feedback by calling 208-957-7016. All feedback is played and replied to on the show. Visit our official website at outlawradioabs.com. Outlaw Radio is a presentation of AOW Productions. Let's <laughs> go.